Yeah. Ah, I love that song. Hey, that, that, that's Tommy. La- last night, uh, my wife leaned up to me and says, he should be on American Idol. And, and I agree. Um, awesome. He's good. And, he, and, he, and, he, and he's cute. He's just cute. I don't mean that in a weird way. I just think he's, he's a good-looking guy. Anyway, oh, but, uh, uh, so let me, let me get into this, all right? So uh, it got kind of awkward, didn't it? So anyway, uh, but, uh, hey, last weekend we wrapped up a series where we've spent uh, the last couple months, really ever since Christmas, we've been unpacking this idea of God's heart, what he really cares about. And we've been kind of getting our arms around this idea that God really cares about marginalized people. And there's this one verse in the Bible that we've kind of found a list of people that really have a kind of a soft spot in God's heart. It's found in Isaiah chapter 1. It's in your program. It goes like this. Um, This is God talking to people who claim to follow him. This is his message to us. He says, stop doing wrong. Remember, this sounds familiar, right? Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. And here's what I mean by right is what God says is I want you to seek justice. I want you to encourage the oppressed. I want you to defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. See, God loves and cares and values all people. He really does. Throughout the Bible, though, he makes it really clear that people who are suffering from injustice, there's some people in the world and things are happening to them and it's just not fair, right? People who are being oppressed, bullies are kind of pushing them down. They're doing their best, but somebody just kind of keeps on you know, knocking them down. People who are vulnerable and alone, widows and orphans would be at the top of those lists. People like that, what you talk about, those people hold up a special place in God's heart. God also makes it really clear, cover to cover in the Bible, is that one of the ways he cares for people, loves people, demonstrates that all people have value, is through his people, us. People who claim to not just believe in God, but we're actually trying to follow him. Remember, there's some prayers that only God can answer. A person asks, God, I need some help in my life. And it's so big that only God can answer that prayer. But many times a person's prayers and needs can be answered by us. If God's people would just stop doing wrong, and by that... God means nothing. Just stop doing nothing and begin to do something, anything, whatever you can to help people around you that are in need and that God loves. And we know we can't save the world. We can't help everybody. We can't save anybody. But we have learned over the last several weeks in here is that if all of us would just do a little bit, even one dollar in a plastic box in a lobby or in a bucket at the back door can change somebody's world. And I got to be honest with you, that was never more obvious to me than this past Thursday and Friday night. We had a party here. Uh, Hundreds of people gathered in this room. And I saw prayers answered. People have been praying for years. God, do you love me? Do you care about me? And I saw prayers answered last Thursday and Friday in this room. I saw dreams come true as God threw a party, a ball, a prom for some of his favorite children. And it looked like this. Next week, we're going to do the box project for this project. When I tell you about it and Scott tells you about it, it's going to blow your mind. How's that? I mean, it will blow you away. You're going to walk out of here going, I cannot believe we're going to do this, but I can't wait to be a part of it, all right? What if we took the truth that Jesus values all people, that the proud get humbled and the humble get elevated, and God wants, desires, yearns to party with those who've never been invited to a party? What if we took those three truths and tried to demonstrate that in some tangible way for our community to demonstrate this is what the heart of God looks like? We're going to throw a party for the most marginalized people in our community. We have a banquet, a prom for those who've never been invited to the prom, and we're going to go all out. It's going to be extravagant. It's going to be an extravagant evening. We've been planning this thing for a while in secret. Um, we're we're uh, calling it Shine. This party, this banquet is just a parable. It's just a story. It's just an example of the radical, inclusive grace of our God who loves to party.
Ah. I'll tell you, that was, that was one of the best two nights of my life. Um, we had a thousand volunteers between the two nights. For every volunteer that got in, we, we turned two away. So sign up next year early. Um, so, some of my favorite quotes. And I, have a, I have a bet going, can you make it through the weekend without crying? And I already lost. And uh, uh, here's the thing. Is, here's some of my favorite quotes. Um, tonight, my dream came true. Um, one guy said this. This is awesome. I'm surrounded by people who really love me. One guy, I just said, hey, you're a good dancer. And he says, yeah, I'm Latino. <laughs> and then he said, I got some junk in my trunk. He actually said that to me. Um, one guy came to, came to shine. It's the first time he'd, he'd left his room in 14 years. And he came here, all right? Um, it's a, one lady said, I, I just want to look like Queen Elizabeth. And I said, you do. And she said, well, you eat too much. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, all right. Hey, I, I didn't say this last night, but I'll tell you, this is how you know it's going to be a good party, okay? So Friday night, I'm standing right over here, and I'm, and I'm talking to this guy named Scott, and this lady walks by me, and she has this beautiful dress on, and she's just looking around. All of a sudden, she stops, and her panties fell off. <laughs> fell off. And I'm like, and she was like, and she just stepped out and kept going. <laughs> and I, I was like, this is going to be a good party. And uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't normally happen unless tequila is involved, but this time I'm, I'm telling you, it didn't, it didn't happen. So I probably shouldn't have said that. I don't care. It was fun. It was so much fun. And uh, so if you help volunteer for that, um, thank you. And, uh, but you don't need thanks. You already got thanked. God, God bless you, right? That's just true. That brings us to this new series I want to start today. Um, over the last several weeks, the, the takeaway has been obvious. It's just been obvious. It goes like this. God cares about hurting people. And he says, do you understand that? Because if you do, I want you to do something. All right? And I want you to do something. I don't want you to just believe something. I want you to get up and do something. See, when Jesus tells us to, to do something, he's not talking about, I want you to pray more or go to church more or sing more or believe more things. All right? When Jesus says, I want you to do something, he, he's talking about this. I want you to take what you, you believe or at least claim to believe. I want you to get up out of rooms like this and I want you to, I don't know, go sit down at your kitchen table with pencil and paper and figure out how you can move some things around in your life so you can be available to have some margin in your life to go and take care of the things that God cares about. And I know this doesn't sound very churchy, but nobody's life ever got changed because somebody else had faith. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, nobody's life got changed by somebody's good intentions. Somebody said it this way, the smallest deed is better than the greatest intention. In other words, nobody gets fed, nobody gets a new roof on their house, nobody gets pulled out of Haitian rubble, nobody gets to dance at the prom because somebody just believed, someday I'm going to do something about that. Nothing changes in the world. Nothing changes in anybody's life until somebody's faith, their belief, causes them to get up and actually go do something. Actually live out. They say they believe it, but actually go live in a way that they actually believe that what they say is true actually is true. That's what I want to talk about this week. That's true faith. Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it this way. Or James, the half-brother of Jesus said it this way. And I've, I've read this a lot of times in here, but this just is one paragraph that kind of sums up this faith good. This whole faith deal. This is what he says. He says, look, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? So he's just talking to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, don't worry about this. But if you claim to follow God, look at this. What good is it, my fellow brothers and sisters? If a person claims to have faith, I mean, you sit here and claim to believe in God. What good is that? But you have no deeds. You're not doing anything. And you can answer these questions if you want. Can such faith save him? No. 
And here it gives an example here. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you Christians says to him, the person without food or clothes, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is that? It's no good, all right? And then the, the picture here is today, you know, today after, after church, you guys are going to go to brunch or lunch or whatever that is, okay? So you've got your carload of people. But on the way out, you, you know, you're, you're driving down 287, and you look over in the ditch in the snow, there's a baby over there. Well, you're a Christian, you've got to do something, right? So you pull your car over, and you kinda, everybody gets out of the car and gathers around the little baby there in the snow. What should we do? Let's pray for the baby. All right, that's great. Oh, Lord, this baby is cold. Make this baby feel warm because you can do all things. And this baby's obviously hungry. So, God, make this baby not hungry anymore. And let's give it a round of applause so it has self-esteem, good self-esteem, all right? There. And we've done our Christian duty. We get in our car and go to Chili's. What good is that? It's no good. It's, it's no good. Man, it's worse, than, it's worse than anything. Now, look at verse 17. In the same way, the same way as that, faith by itself... If it's not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So there's some people who go, I don't believe in God, I just do good things. Here's what, what, what James says. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith. I'll show you my belief system by what I, what? By what I do. And James is not saying, we're not contradicting the, the other things you've heard in here. James is not saying, do good things and help people, and that's what gets you into heaven. He's not saying that at all. He's saying this. If you really are saved, if you really do believe, if you really have faith, if you really are connected with God, it will make a difference in the way you live your life. It will. If you really understand who Jesus is, it will make a difference in how you live your life, spend your time, and spend your money. Because you have faith. And then James puts one more punch in here. Look at this last verse. James says, you believe there is one God? You know, if I had everybody raise their hand, who believes in God? Most of us would go, yeah, I believe in God. Good. Translated Big deal. You believe in God? Big deal. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You keep on reading the rest of this chapter, and I encourage you to do that you know, later today. James compares that believing something, even something true about God, without actually doing something about it, is, it's kind of like a body that doesn't have the spirit. You've all been to funerals, and you go walk up to the casket, and there's the body laid out there, and, and then somebody says, well, he's not, that's just a shell. He's not really here anymore. It's the same thing. The spirit's left. It's just, it's, just, it's just an empty shell. Faith's like that. And over and over in the Bible, you hear person after person pointing to the same truth again. Life and faith isn't based on simply, I hope it's true, or I believe it's true, or I wish it's true. Faith is built upon living out and acting as if what you believe to be true really is true. That's real faith. See, faith, and this is where we're going to kind of land today. Faith always leads a person to do something. And if it doesn't lead you to go and do something, it's not real faith. Or at least it's not faith that matters or makes a difference. Probably the strongest teacher in the whole Bible on this subject was Jesus himself. And that's what I'm going to look at today. See, Jesus did not come into this world to give us a new belief system. What he did is he said, the stuff you already believe, this is what it would actually look like if you did it. You know, you believe that you should love people. Let me just show you what it looks like to love people. You say, you know, you want God to forgive you. Let me show you what it would look like if you really did forgive people around you. This is how Jesus said it. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the very first biography of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And Jesus has just kind of finished this. uh, In in church world, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's like three chapters of this this 
awesome teaching that Jesus gives about how we, how we need to get along with one another and share our things with one another and forgive one another. So he's, he's just given this, this, this great talk. And this is how he wraps it up. He says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And Lord is a Bible verse for you're the boss. You're the leader and we follow you. Okay, so not everybody that you know, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who what? Does the will of my Father who's in heaven. In other words, there are a lot of people going around 2,000 years ago and even today saying all the right stuff. Saying really, really good stuff. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I even buy into the whole you know, Christian cross Easter thing. I, I buy it all, all right? That, Jesus says, that, that's great you believe that. The problem is, though, that even though you say you believe all that stuff, it's not making very much difference in the way you live your life. And that makes some people mad to hear that, doesn't it? And Jesus knew that, that people would be sitting there listening to him and having arguments in their head with him. You know, conversations, you know, that you guys have that with me. I know you guys can see it on your face. Like, I cannot believe you just said that, you know. And, I, and so Jesus knows people are saying that about him. Look at the next verse. Many will say to me on that day, because I know you're going to say this to me, so I'll just kind of head it off. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in, in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? It's like, time out, Jesus. Did, did we not do some great things in the world in your name? I mean, in the name of Jesus, you know, did we not go and do this? And did we not go to church a lot? And we sing songs about I'll follow the sun. I mean, did, did we not do that? Did we not, not only did we read the Bible, we prophesied, we taught other people what it meant. Doesn't that count for something? Here's how Jesus responds. Verse 23, then I will tell them and them is the people arguing with Jesus. That never goes well, by the way. All right. But so there's people arguing, going, I, you, you forgot about this and you're wrong, Jesus. Then I will tell them plainly. And the word plainly there means, okay, I'm going to go real slow here. Now, listen, okay. And here's what I want to tell you. I never knew you. Just because you walked around and said religious things, just because you read the Bible a lot or went to church a lot. I'm telling you, I never knew you. You're not who you claim to be. Away from me, you evildoers. Then Jesus tells this really famous story to warn people who claim to believe in God and follow Jesus and all that, but don't, don't run their lives in light of that faith. This is where we're going to land the whole month. From now through Easter, we're just going to be kind of looking at this story and different angles on it, all right? And the story goes like this. Jesus is going to tell us a story about building a house, all right? But remember, anytime Jesus tells a story about something, he's really talking about something else. Like a few weeks ago, he told a story about sheep. It had nothing to do with sheep. It had to do with people, all right? Like a few weeks ago, he told a story about a coin that got lost. It had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with, with people. So when he talks about building a house today, he's really not talking about a house at all. You can figure this out. So here it goes, all right? Therefore, everybody who hears these words of mine, and here it is again, what? Puts them into practice, all right? Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Wise man built his Sunday school song. All right. Anyway, so anyways, there we are. All right. So now here's the thing is, okay, don't miss this. When you, when you read that first verse, Jesus isn't talking about the person who hears my words is a wise man. Or the person who believes what I'm saying, that, that, that person's a wise man. No. Jesus is saying the person who hears my words and puts them into practice, that person is a wise, a wise man. And here's why. Look at the next verse. Because... The rain came down, and the stream rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
So lesson number one from Jesus is this. If you'll not just hear and believe, I mean, you have to do that. You have to hear. How else will you believe if you don't hear? And you have to believe, but, but don't stop there. But if you'll actually put what you hear and believe into practice, when, not if, but when a storm hits your house, and we're really not talking about houses, your life, it won't fall apart. You'll actually stand up. And here's lesson number two. It's kind of the flip side of that. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, same rain as before. The stream rose up. The winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great what? Crash. And again, the lesson is the same. It doesn't matter if you heard Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe Jesus. It doesn't matter if you read it in the Bible and you say, that's true. It doesn't matter how many times you come in here and nod your head at me going, that's right, Jim. Tell these people that. That's true. They, she needs to hear this. It doesn't matter how much you believe that is true. Jesus says if you don't put it into practice, and he uses a really strong word here, you're a fool. Well, what do you mean? He means this. You would be foolish to think that when a storm hits your house, it has any hope of surviving, let alone standing up. Again, we're not talking about houses. What Jesus is saying is, if you believe in Jesus and what he taught, but, don't, but you don't put that into practice, don't be surprised when your life falls apart, when hard times come. Now, don't miss this. There's a lot of sto- you know, lessons in this, in this one little... You sometimes write it off as a children's story, but it's, it's really, really deep. Like, like look at this. You know, both men, both builders in this, in this story, wanted the same thing. They wanted a house. Right? They, they wanted a place to live and to rest and, and a place of shelter for their family. All right? They wanted a place uh, where they could love one another. They wanted a place where they would feel protected. Those are all good things. I want those things, don't you? I want a house. I want a place to, to have my family. I, I, I want those things for, my, for myself. Both men in this story worked hard. There's no accusation that they were lazy. The house didn't fall down because somebody was lazy. They probably built their house out of the same thing. Shopped at the same Home Depot. I don't know. But, you know, they, they both built their house. They worked hard. They also, Jesus points out that both, both men, both builders, heard what Jesus had said about building houses. The only difference in the story is that one acted, one built his house based on what he heard Jesus tell him. And the other one didn't. And they had very different results. One stood up in the storm and the other one fell down. Here's the other thing I want us to get at this. Get out of this, all right? Don't miss this. Whether or not you build your house, live your life on what Jesus has to say is a better way or whether you build it some other way has nothing to do, nothing to do with whether or not storms hit your life. Whether you believe in God or not has nothing to do with whether storms hit your life. Jesus is not telling us how to build a house that never goes through storms. There is no such house. It doesn't exist. What what Jesus is teaching us is how to build a house that has the best shot at surviving the storm that life throws at it. And the answer to that is, well, believe all the right stuff about Jesus and you'll survive. No. The answer is, whatever you believe to be true about Jesus, go do that. Go build your life on, on what you understand about Jesus. Jesus calls that person wise. Now, I tell you all that because today is just a setup, okay, for the whole series, okay? You've already learned everything I have to teach you today. It means that if you you really believe, then go do that, okay? So if you go out in the car and go, is that all he taught today? Yes, okay? The rest of it is just set up for the rest of the month. It's a setup for this series that we're calling Habitat. 
habitat, okay? And, and I looked up habitat in the dictionary. The reason we're doing this series is in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months from now, we're going to break ground about a mile from here for a Habitat for Humanity house that we're building. That's what the money in the buckets goes for, stuff like that. But, but I looked up the word habitat. The definition of habitat is the place or environment where something or someone lives and grows, all right? So a habitat could be an aquarium. A habitat could be the earth. A habitat could be your house, whatever that is. But a habitat is where your life takes place. So whenever I say the word habitat or house or life, that's, that's your life. That's what I'm talking about for the rest of the series, okay? Now, here's three things that we all know about habitats. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, this is, this is just true. This is just true about life, all right? First thing is this. We're all building a house where we will live our lives. Everybody here is building their life. And in that life, that's where you live. Does that make sense? So we're all building a life. Second thing is, we're all building our house or our life on something. Right? You have a truth. You have a philosophy. You have a, you know, a goal, whatever this. But you are building your life based on this. All right? Third thing is this. Whatever we build, whatever life you build, will be hit by storms. And these storms will reveal if you were right or wrong. Or in Jesus' words, wise or, or foolish. Now hold on to that, okay? Here's where we're going and, and why we're going to talk about this, okay? See, it, it's, it seems to me like a lot of us, and I would put myself in this category, all right? A lot of us are working really hard at life, right? Aren't you? I mean, you're working hard to build a life. You're out there every day, you know, you know working, working hard, and you're coming home tired. tired. All, all of us have really high hopes for our lives. We're spending a lot of time, putting a lot of effort, you know, pointing a lot of money in a lot of different directions, because I think this is something all of us have in common. We want a good life. I do. I, I want a good life for myself and for the people in, 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 in my life. All right? It's like the song Tommy's saying. It's 30 Seconds to Mars song. And it's like this. We all, there's one point in our life where we all had dreams. Oh, maybe not being a king or queen or something like that. But I wanted, I wanted to build something good with my life. And somewhere along the way, I, I became a victim of somebody else or a victim of myself but I settled for something far less than what God wanted or what I wanted for my life. I'm not, I'm not ending up with the house I thought I would live in. Let me, let me give you some examples of that, all right? Last week, Scott mentioned the Olympics, right? Remember that? Now, I, 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 I got to be honest with you. I, I'm a bigger fan of the Summer Olympics than the Winter Olympics. I'm sorry. I know you live in Colorado and you ski and all, whatever, okay? Summer Olympics are better. But anyway, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, okay? Um, <laughs> I, I am with Scott on this, and this isn't politically correct, but I would watch... More Winter Olympic. I'd watch more sports if, it, if more sports would include guns. I would, all right? Um, I think ratings would go up. Like, I was watching ski jumping this past week. You add a gun to that, it's going to be cool, all right? Because, I mean, you go off the ramp, and whether you're shooting in the air or being shot at, that's like, whoa, all right, all right? And then stick the landing, I'll watch that. That's a good sport, okay? Um, here's a sport, winter sport, I don't, I don't understand at all. Curling. I don't understand that. That's just shuffleboard on ice. That's all that is, all right? It's a skill. But, you know, I don't understand that whole thing. But here's the thing. I would, I would like that sport if, if one of the stones exploded. But you don't know which one, okay? That's a better sport. It's kind of like NASCAR. I don't want there to be a wreck, but if there is, I want to see it, okay? So it's kind of like, like that. So, uh, or, or like in summer Olympics, swimming. I think swimming would be much more interesting, and the times would be better if you put a shark in the water. How many would watch that? <laughs> Absolutely. Guys like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, right. Now, so I'm a fan of the Olympics. The, one of the biggest reasons I like the Olympics is because it's very easy to measure how you're doing. 
right? It's very, very, very measurable, very objective. You know who won and you know who came in second and third and after that you don't really care. But, you know, you, you, it's very easy. And I've been watching all these, these Olympic, you know, interviews with all these athletes and they all kind of have the same story, a version of it. And the story goes like this. At some time in their past, somebody said, I want to win a gold medal. I want to go for it. And in order to do that, I have to beat this time or this height or this weight or this score. So over the last several years, he or she has done some very specific exercises and, and drills and routines that they did over and over and over again. I mean, just, their stories are just amazing how much they put into this. But then, you know, last Tuesday or last night or whatever, they found out how they did. A clock or a judge told them if they were successful. All right, you were good. You were better than everybody else or you weren't good enough today. Wouldn't it be great if, if life was like that? There was just an event you could find out, how are you doing? But most of life is not like that. I'll give you an example of this, all right? And I'm going to give you some examples from my life, and they probably don't apply to everybody's life, but you can do the math and kind of plug in your, your situation here. Like, I want to be a good husband. I really do, all right? But fill in the blank with whatever you want there. So the house, the habitat, the place, the life I want to build, we'll just call that good husband. That's how I want to live my life. Okay, so what's that look like? What does good husband look like? What's good look like? And good compared to who? Good compared to your dad? You know, good compared to the guys at work? Who defines good? Here, here's another one. What did, what did you do yesterday to become a good husband, a better husband? This is where it gets awkward. It's like, uh, I was really busy yesterday, Jim, all right? Well, what, 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 what have you done today to be a good husband or boyfriend? I, I don't know, but it's early. It's still early, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, what are you going to do tomorrow? I haven't really thought about it. All right. So, so you say you believe you want to be a good husband, a good man, whatever. But you really haven't done much. You haven't really built much in that direction. All right. See what I'm saying? All right. Uh, here's another one. All right. Maybe you're here today and say, I want to be a good mom or a good dad, you know, a good grandma, whatever that is. That's great. All right. What's that look like? What does it look like to, to, to do that? Here's a question. What did Jesus have to say about that? This is what good parenting looks like. What? Yeah, most of us, I, I don't know. All right, so let's just leave Jesus out of it for a second. So what did you do yesterday to become, take a step towards becoming the mom that you want to be or the dad that you want to be? Well, yeah, yesterday was a rough day. Well, what, what are you going to do today or, or tomorrow? And see, then this is where some of you are kind of getting angry at me because you're like, time out, Jim. You don't know my story. If you knew my story, I would get a pass on this because I'm telling you, there's some stuff going on in my life right now. But, but as, soon as, as soon as some stuff changes, as soon as some stuff eases up at work, and as soon as, as soon as my husband starts doing what he's supposed to do, I'm telling you, I'm going to get on this better parent thing. I really am. I'm going to spend some more time with my kids and I'm going to make up for lost time. That's awesome. I am absolutely, you are sure. I believe that you mean that. You, be, you believe that with all your heart. That's a good thing. I'm not judging you. But Jesus says, don't be surprised when a big unexpected storm hits your life. And then you try to step into your kid's life, but your kid won't let you into the house that they built because it doesn't include you. And then both your houses fall apart. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that some of our stories? Are you mad yet? I mean, how about finances? Oh, now here we go. Now you're meddling, Jim. All right. Uh, <laughs> See, I want to be financially secure. I do. I do. I'm not saying I want to be, you know, a billionaire, or, you know, or even a millionaire. I don't. I, I want to be financially secure. I, I want to be able to pay my bills. I want to be able to save some money. I want to go on some cool vacations, right? I want to give a bigger percentage of my income away for good things. You know, I want to help widows and orphans. I want to build another school in Afghanistan. I want to help some kids and some college students go on mission trips. Don't you? And that's awesome. 
Okay, so what's our building plan? What's your building plan? Huh? How are you going to get to that point in your life? Uh, are you moving in that direction? When was the last time you moved in that direction? How about this? How much, how much money do you need? And the answer is more than I currently have. It's always the answer to that question, by the way. So what's your plan? And most of us, we don't have a plan. Truth is, yesterday, a lot of us went deeper in debt, didn't we? And we just thought it would kind of happen. You know, maybe Powerball. You know, good luck with that. You know, I can fill in the blank. Jesus is teaching this. Everybody's, everybody here is building our lives on something. Everybody. And there is a storm coming. And you don't see it right now. Right? You, you don't even know what it's going to be, but make no mistake, it's coming. Maybe it's over the horizon. Maybe it's around the corner. Maybe it's sneaking up behind you. But one day, and it might be your fault because you make a mistake or somebody else's fault. You may never figure out whose fault it is. But someday, whatever you've built, whatever, you know, your friendships, your marriage, your family, your finances, your sexuality, your health, your character, your faith, your house is going to be hit by something hard, a storm. And that storm will reveal what your house, your life is built on. Some of us are living in the storm right now. We're in the middle of it right now. We don't know if it's going to even last another day. Jesus promised, hey, regardless of your faith and how much you love God, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have storms. That's life. Jesus said life is hard. And life naturally falls apart. Life doesn't fix itself, all right? That's the second law of thermodynamics, all right? Things work towards chaos, not disorder, right? So if you want your house, your life, your family, your marriage, your friendships, your health, your spirituality, whatever, to fall apart, here's what you need to do. Nothing. Nothing. Or you can just walk around and say you believe that someday things are going to get better. But God says, hey, stop doing nothing. and Learn to do right. By that, the things that you believe to be true, start doing those. Now, here's the thing. Why is this so important? Why are we talking about this, and why is this so important? Why not just say, you know, kind of go, you know, I'm just going to let life happen, you know, dude. I'm just going to let, you know, I just lay back and go, whatever, whatever, you know. A lot of us are drifting through life with whatever. Why, why is that not a good life plan? Well, here's why. Look back at that story again. Jesus said that when that house on the sand fell, it fell with a great what? Crash. We're not talking about your life taking a little ding. You know, my wife pulled in the garage last night, took off a door. All right, so we're not talking about, she's not here. That's why I mentioned that. Don't tell her I said that. All right, so anyway, um, I love her. Anyway, so uh, I'm not talking about denting the door. I'm not talking about a scratch. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, that's a setback. No, no, no. I'm talking about a great crash. Great crash translates total loss. A storm hit my life and I was left with nothing. Nothing. What's that mean? It means this. There are parts of our lives that the stakes are too high to hope you get it right. There's some stuff in our life that, 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 that again, is so important. You can't just write off mistakes as, oh, better luck next time. Because there's some parts of our life there is not a next time. And I'm not talking about God or going to heaven. That's all forgivable. Everybody gets more chances with God. I'm talking about important parts of our life. I'm talking about people in our life here in this habitat where we live today. That's what I want to talk about. So over the next five, five weeks in here, all right, we're going to build a house. 
Literally, right up here on stage. You know, we're going to start with the foundation. We're going to build a foundation next week. And then we're going to get some boards. We're going to build the house. And we're going to put a roof on this thing. And then we're going to move some stuff in because that's our life. But remember, we're not really talking about houses. We're talking about life. But Jesus said that if you'll look at at least two houses, one that was built on a rock and one that was built on sand, you're going to find a lot of similarities between your life. We're going to ask some really hard questions. I'm just telling you this because you might not want to come back. Because the questions are really hard and they're really intrusive and they'll make you mad. But you know what the thing is? Most of the important parts of life are really intrusive. Aren't they? Because they're so important. Questions like this. This is the kind of questions we're going to unpack over the next four or five weeks. What kind of house, what kind of life do you want to build? And everybody says, I want a good one. Well, what's that mean? What what do you want to build in your life? I, I don't know. I just want it to be good. Well, what's good look like? And how will you know if you get it? Here's a question. Is your current life even close to the life you wanted or hoped for? Is it headed in the right direction? Is it already collapsing? Here, here's a question, all right? If Jesus has something to say about a better way to build your house, are you willing to even listen? You don't have to. Or you can listen and not do it. That's fine. But are you even willing to listen to what he has to say about it? How about this? If you want a different house... If you want a different life than you have now, a marriage, you know, financial situation, you know, parenting, friendships, whatever. If you want something different, how do you think that's going to happen? Like all at once? Like my life was like this, and then Thursday it changed, and it was, is that? Or baby steps, you know? Are we talking about just a little remodeling? I just need some paint to cover up some stuff. Are we talking about, you know, extreme home makeover? How about this? How hard are you willing to work? Because I tell you, If you want a different life, it doesn't just happen. It's really hard to get that. Here's a couple more. If if nothing changes in your current building plan, will your house survive the next big storm? And are you willing to risk that? Okay, this is going to shock you. I've been reading some books. I know, I I wait for the movie usually, but these books are being made into movies. That's why I'm reading them right now. Um, I've been reading this guy named C.S. Lewis who's really awesome. I'd understand about a third of what he has to say. That's why I read his children's books. I have a shot there. But anyway, um, so I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's on our Facebook page for Flatirons if you want to read it later. But um, it really sums up really clearly what I think the goal of this series is, all right? I was actually looking for something else, and I found this. This this is C.S. Lewis. He talks about this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, God starts knocking around the house in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. See, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage... But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it, in you, himself. Anybody want that house? Anybody want that life? I do. You you know what what some of the worst moments in life are? And I know you go to this. Well, the worst moment would be if somebody left or if somebody filed for a divorce or if somebody died or something like that. Those are the worst moments. Do you know what the worst moment in the worst moment is? The worst moment in the worst moment is when you're sitting there in that mess of life and you're thinking to yourself, oh... I wish I had done it different. That, isn't it, that's the worst of the worst, isn't it? When you're at the funeral home or your divorce court or your custody hearing or whatever, and you look back at your life going, oh, I wish I had built it different. I wish I had done it different. And here's the thing. This is going to be really disappointing for a lot of us. 
You can't change your past. Again, I'm not talking about God. God forgives everything. He, he'll forgive everything, give everybody a new, 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 new start, a new, a new chance, all right? But, but you can't change your past. You can change the future. You can say from, from this moment on, from this morning on, I, I want to live, I want to build my life differently. It's going to be hard, but it is possible. And if that's true, maybe it's worth coming back to hear what Jesus might have to say on the subject of building your life. I hope you come back. All right. Hey, we're going to sing two songs. I, I got to kind of explain this next song. I really love this song, but it's full of religious words that don't make sense. And you go, oh, what's that mean? All right. Like there's this word in there about my, my arms are, are open and I'm surrendering my life to God. You, the, you know, stick them up. Ah, you know, don't shoot. You know, is that what God means? Uh, you know, no, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that I've come to a point in my life where I'm open to the idea that maybe I don't have all the answers. So I don't have anything really to offer. So here I am, God, arms open wide. What do you want to tell me? That makes sense. And maybe you're not at that point in your life today, but eventually a storm will hit your life and you will be. So when this becomes your song, then you stand up and sing it with us. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a scary, scary thing to pray or sing a song like that. You know what's even scarier than surrendering your life to God? Trying to live your life without him. How's that working for you? So, uh, Come on back and let's, let's figure out what God wants for our life. All right? God, I love you so much. So with uh, great fear and nervousness, I pray a prayer. And everybody has to pray their own prayer. But our prayer goes something like this. God, I need help. I know that my house is a house of cards. I know that it looks good on the outside. And most people in my life are all faked out because they think my life is totally great and awesome. But I know the truth about my life. And it is one more thing goes wrong. One more mistake at work. One more this. One more that. And the whole thing is going to come crashing down. And that just scares me, God, that the storm is going to come and I'm going to get blown away. And so, God, we come to you this morning and we say, listen, God, if there's a better way to live my life from this point on, that's the way I want to live. And we could beat ourselves up and say, I wish I would have built my life differently up to this point. But that won't do any good at all. So what we have to say to you is now from this point on, God, teach me how to live and build a better life. That's what I want. I want to follow you. Not just sing about you, not just talk about you, but actually get up out of this room and go follow you. That's faith. In Jesus' name, amen.